Welcome to Oncology Data Advisor. Today we have an interview for Breast Cancer Awareness Month, and I'm joined by Dr. Jason Mwabi. Dr. Mwabi, thanks so much for coming on today. Thank you for having me. I'm very happy to be here. So today we have a pretty fun session planned. Uh, we're first going to start off with a Q&A session and then go into a Mythbusters session. Um, so to start off, we're going to go over some frequently asked questions surrounding breast cancer. Before we begin, would you like to um, introduce yourself and share a little bit about what your work in breast cancer focuses on? I would love to. So my name is Jason Moabi. I'm a breast medical oncologist at the University of Texas MD Anderson Cancer Center. Uh, I see a wide range of different breast cancers, but I'm dedicated to only seeing breast cancer patients. My uh, area of focus, research of focus is invasive lobular carcinoma, which is an understudied type of important type of breast cancer. And uh, hopefully we'll uh, get to discuss a little bit today during our questions. Definitely. Um, so the first question is, uh, what exactly is breast cancer and how does it develop? Yeah, it's, uh, it's very important first to uh, give a definition to uh, the, the cancer itself. So breast cancer is a type of cancer that starts in the cells of uh, the breast. Uh, it occurs when normal breast cells undergo changes that causes them to grow uncontrollably, leading to the formation of tumors and then cancers. And cancer cells, when they start growing, they start invading nearby tissues. And in some cases that they start inviting, uh, invading uh, the lymphatic vessels and can reach the lymph node. And from there, they can have an access to the bloodstream and can spread around the body. Mm -hmm. So usually what happens is uh, an error, what we call a mutation in the, in the medical field, happens at the DNA level in a single cell that causes this cell to start growing uncontrollably. I always tell my patient, uh, cell growth is normal. However, it's highly regulated. When you lose this control for cell growth, that's when we have cancer. Those mutations can either be inherited from, um, from uh, our parents, or they can be acquired by uh, environmental factors, sometimes by hormonal influences, sometimes by uh, life, uh, lifestyle choices like smoking and or sometimes can they can arise sporadically because every cell at some point has a shelf life and has to divide to give way for a new cell and as it's doing so uh, errors can be uh, acquired at the DNA level that can cause cancer. In addition to mutations what are some of the other common risk factors for breast cancer? So this is a very important question and before I start answering it it's there is a big disclaimer here a lot of people, when they hear risk factor, they think, oh, this is what's causing my cancer. Risk factor and causality are different things. Risk factor do not directly cause cancer. That is very, very, very important. Having a risk factor does not mean that you will develop cancer. Some patients with multiple different risk factors never develop cancer, and others with no risk factor do develop cancer. So risk factor, from their name, they're just a risk factor. So they increase the risk for breast cancer, but do not cause it. And this is very important for everybody to know that. There is two categories of risk factor. There is the non-modifiable risk factor. These are stuff that we have that we have to deal with. And there is the modifiable ones. These are the ones that ideally we can change. So the non-modifiable one, uh, one of them is gender. So females are at a higher risk for breast cancer than male. The other one is age. The older we get, the more, the higher the chances are that we might get cancer. And that's not only for breast, it's true for also other types of cancer. 
the third one is a family history uh, and uh, genetics. So having a first degree relative with breast cancer increases the risk of having breast cancer. Also having a predisposing mutation that we inherit from our parents can also uh, be a risk factor to getting breast cancer. Uh, the fourth one is a very important one, and I always highlight to my patients, especially when they read their survivorship phase of their treatment, is that a personal history of breast cancer is by itself a risk factor. It's one of the highest risk factors to developing another breast cancer. And uh, the last non-modifiable bond is breast density. Some females have dense breasts, others have more fatty breasts. The denser the breast, the, more, the higher the risk factor for breast cancer. Now let's go on to the modifiable ones. These are stuff that we have the power to modify. Uh, one of them is long-term use of hormone replacement therapy and or oral contraceptive. Again, I hear this all the time. Patient come to me like, I caused my cancer because I took hormone replacement therapy or I caused it because I took oral contraceptive. I should have known better. I always tell them, they do not cause the cancer. They are risk factor for cancer. So basically what they can do if we already... If there is already precursor lesion for cancer, they can grow them into cancer, but they cannot cause the mutation at the at the uh, genetic level. Um, so these are again always keep in mind risk factors and not call, uh, causative agents. Uh, the third one it, it it goes along the line of uh, childbirth and menopausal uh, and menopause. So basically, having uh, your first child at an older age uh, increases risk for breast cancer. Never having uh, 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 birth a child also increases the risk. Early onset of uh, menstruation and late menopause also are risk factors. Now, some other risk factors as well, uh, there's alcohol consumption, obesity, uh, physical activity. The less active somebody is, the higher the risk factor. Uh, diet, exposure to radiation, and the last one is breastfeeding. Patients who do not breastfeed uh, have a high risk factor for breast cancer. That's why they, a lot of time you hear that breastfeeding is protective against uh, breast cancer. Um, and that's why, that, that's where it comes from. Because when they studied, they found that patients who breastfed had uh, less chances of getting breast cancer than those who did not. Great. Um, so with all of these um, different potential factors, what are the signs and symptoms that people should look out for? Very important question. So there is six cardinal <clears throat> symptoms to look for. But also before going into them, it's very important to notice that every patient is different. Sometimes you might have those symptoms, signs and symptoms. Sometimes you might not have any of them. And sometimes you might have one. So these are not set in stone. They are just six cardinal ones to, to keep them in the back of your mind, just in case you experience one of them to know that you need to seek medical attention. So the first one is a breast lump, and this is the most common sign and symptom of breast cancer. However, again, it's the most common, but not guaranteed to have a breast lump. And we'll talk about that later. Um, the second one is change in breast size and shape. So breast swelling here, what we're talking about. Uh, the third one is breast pain. Now, this is very important because I also tell this to my patient, most breast cancers are not typically associated with pain. If breast cancer was painful, we would have caught it very early. However, it's not usually painful. So it's not usually a sign and symptoms of uh, breast cancer. However, if it happens, you shouldn't discard it. You should get evaluated by healthcare professionals to see what's going on. So, so that's why I say it. It's not because it's one of the main uh, breast cancer signs and symptoms. It's just 
something to keep in mind that it's unlikely to be breast cancer, but it has to be checked anyways. Uh, the fourth one are uh, skin changes. And here we're talking about skin thickening, skin dimpling. So that what they call the, the orange peel feel to the skin that happens, that's, uh, that's uh, overlaying the breast and color change. So also along the li those lines, if you notice a rash that's not going away, that's another uh, sign that uh, you should go seek uh, uh, the, the, the healthcare professional opinion on what's going on. Uh, the fifth one is nipple changes. So here we're not talking about uh, some somebody who had uh, forever changes, like so, some nipple uh, uh, changes. It's something that's happened sudden, very quick over a short period of time. So it's a change in the appearance or position of the nipple, such as, such, such as turning inward. So that's what we call nipple inversion. And there is also flattening of the nipple. So these are two signs if they happen suddenly uh, over a short period of time to also seek a healthcare professional for uh, their professional opinion. And the last one is enlarged lymph nodes, especially under the armpit. So some patients start complaining of discomfort under the armpit, and then they can feel like a ball under the armpit. So, so this is also a sign and symptom to, to, uh, to let you know that you sh should seek uh, healthcare uh, professional help. Great. Um, so what is the role of genetics in breast cancer, and when should someone consider getting genetic testing? So genetics play a very significant and important role in breast cancer risk. Again, it's breast cancer risk, so it's not guaranteed if you have a mutation that you are going to get breast cancer, but it does definitely increase the risk for that. Uh, <clears throat> and whenever we talk about genetics in breast cancer, these are what we're talking about inherited mutations. So these are something that we inherit either from our mom's side of <clears throat> the family or the dad's side of the family. There is two genes of special interest in breast cancer, and these are the BRCA1 and BRCA2 genes, but there's other genes um, that are associated with the breast cancer as well uh, that uh, uh, it's important to know of, such as TP53 and PALB2. <clears throat> so I, so these four genes usually are the bulk of the genes that are associated with breast cancer. There's also another one called CHECK2 uh, mutation that sometimes is associated with breast cancer. Now, <clears throat> you, should, you should seek genetic counseling before testing, uh, and that's very important. So not always you're going to need testing, but genetic counseling is not, uh, it's not wrong if you fall into one of those categories. So if there is any family history of, of those genetic mutations, again, these are the BRCA1, BRCA2, TP53, or PALB2, or even CHECK2, if those family, if those mutations, you know somebody, especially close relative, that had those mutations, it's not wrong to go seek genetic counseling not testing right away, counseling. So they can do a family tree and see what is your risk. And if your risk is high, they can test you for it. The second one is a strong family history of breast cancer, especially when there is multiple family members that got breast cancer at a young age. Young age meaning typically before the age of 50. And the third, third one, and this is the most important one, is a personal history of breast cancer at a young age. Or if you, if you had breast cancer in both breasts, also, that's another thing. A third important one, if you had breast cancer and there is a family history of ovarian cancer, that can also uh, suggest that you might need genetic testing. Again, regardless for the reason, I'm always a big advocate for genetic counseling before testing. Great. Um, on this theme of testing, uh, when should women start getting regular mammograms and how often should they get them? So this is a little bit all over the place, uh, to be honest. Uh, the recommended age and how the frequency vary from uh, guideline to guideline, from organization to organization. Um, 
So it's not set in stone and they keep changing them every uh, a few years. But at the end of the day, it should be individualized to the individual risk factor, their family history, their personal medical history, and so forth. But the question is there, we should answer it. So <clears throat> many organizations recommend starting mammograms, like the American Cancer Society recommend that women at the average risk of breast cancer begin, begin getting regular mammogram by the age of 40. The frequency of mammogram <clears throat> in most guidelines is every year. However, sometimes they say it can be done every two years. I personally recommend every year, <clears throat> starting at the age of 40. Now, continuing mammograms, that's, an, that's another decision that has to be individualized patient to patient. <clears throat> but uh, many guidelines suggest that women should continue receiving mammograms as long as they are in good health and have a life expectancy of at least 10 years. Now, if somebody has a first degree relative, have a, a predisposing mutation like those BRCA1, BRCA2, TP53, uh, or PALB2, those recommendations can change. And a lot of time, uh, the, the screening can start at a very at, at a younger age. So again, it has to be individualized, but these are some uh, rule of thumb rules. Awesome. Well, that was the last of our frequently asked questions. So that was a really comprehensive answer to all of these questions and a really great resource that we can share with people. Amazing. So now to move on to our second part, the myth busting session. Um, so here are five common myths about breast cancer. The first one being that only women can get breast cancer. So this is a very common misconception and it is not true. While it's true that breast cancer is much more common in women than men, but men can still develop breast cancer. Now it is relatively rare and it accounts less than 1% of all uh, breast cancer cases. However, it's essential to recognize that it can and does occur in men. Now, men do have breast tissue. However, they are less developed that, uh, than in uh, women. However, they are still susceptible to getting cancerous changes. Also the risk factors that we discussed earlier on about uh, uh, breast cancer for, for for female are the same true for men, the, except of course uh, the you know having the childbirth uh, late in life and uh, menopause and menarche. So so these are these are of course specific for women and breastfeeding, but all the other ones uh, such as age, uh, uh, such as lifestyle, exposure to radiation and so forth, these are still hold true for men. And second, um, if breast cancer doesn't run in someone's family, they won't get it. So again, uh, this is not true. So while a family history of breast cancer is indeed a significant risk factor, it is important to understand that the absence of a family history does not guarantee immunity from breast cancer. So the facts are the facts uh, that the majority of individuals diagnosed with breast cancer do not have a family history of the disease. And the third myth is that all breast cancers present as a lump. So this is where I can talk a little bit about the uh, uh, lobular breast cancer, and the answer the answer is no. While breast cancer, one of the most common signs and symptoms is a lump. However, not all breast cancer present with a lump. And here I'm 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 talking mainly about those uh, lobular uh, breast cancers and inflammatory breast cancer. So we're gonna talk about them a little bit. Also, some of the other type of uh, breast cancer called the ductal one, if they're uh, detected very early, so very small, that you might not feel a lump. But lobular cancer, because of the nature of the disease, so those cells 
basically do not form a mass uh, so they cannot they do not, they don't distort the architecture of the breast so they cannot you cannot feel them on exam they don't present as a, as a lump usually so those are uh, harder to detect uh, like that so they do not uh, so it's important to notice that because lobular breast cancer is about 10 to 15 percent of breast cancer also inflammatory breast cancer which is more rare than uh, lobular cancer uh, inflammatory breast cancer comes as a diffuse uh, uh, cancer that takes over the breast so the breast present as a as more swollen heavier than the other breast but you cannot feel a discrete mass so it's really important to keep in mind that not all breast cancer present as a lump and the fourth myth is that breast cancer is a death sentence. This myth is far from the truth. <clears throat> While we have to acknowledge that breast cancer can be frightening and challenging, however, it does not, it's not a guaranteed death sentence by any means. In fact, in this day and age, with the advancement in breast cancer research, early detection, and treatment, they have significantly improved the prognosis and survival rates of individuals diagnosed with breast cancer. So I'm going to give you some numbers because I'm a numbers man and I like numbers. So the American Cancer Society and NIH publish every few years their survival rates. So the five-year survival rate after a breast cancer diagnosis is close to 91%. That's, a five, again, the five-year survival rate. And the death rate is one in 39 patients. So that's 2.5%. And this number has been steadily decreasing year after year. So, so it's very far from the truth. It is not a death sentence. It's something that should be uh, should be looked at, managed, and treated appropriately to have the best outcome. Great. And our last myth is that someone can't have a healthy pregnancy after being diagnosed and treated for breast cancer. This myth, again, is not uh, accurate at all. That's why it's a myth. Uh, many individuals have undergone a breast cancer treatment and went to have very healthy pregnancies and very healthy babies. However, here it's very important that uh, to note that there are several risk factors that should be considered uh, to individualize the care because it can vary from patient to patient. So it's very important if you're getting breast cancer treatment to talk about fertility preservation with your doctor because some breast cancer treatment like chemotherapy or hormonal therapy can affect fertility. So before starting the treatment, if you are interested in having uh, a pregnancy down the line, you should discuss maybe uh, preserving your fertility by undergoing like egg harvesting, embryo freezing, or so, or so forth. So these are important to discuss before starting any treatment for breast cancer. Another thing that's very important is the timing of the pregnancy. So uh, sometimes we ask the, the patient to delay getting pregnant a little bit after a diagnosis of breast cancer and treatment with breast cancer, just so we can we can do some form of preventative treatment to to uh, reduce the risk of this cancer coming back before getting pregnant and we have some studies that were recently published that show that we can do uh, sometimes interruption of uh, therapy uh, for a year or two for a patient to get pregnant so that's really important to discuss and plan ahead of time uh, also medical uh, medical monitoring is very important not only by uh, a high risk uh, obstetrician but also by your medical oncologist and they should be talking with one another and uh, and being and having the same plan breastfeeding is very important because the ability to breastfeed after cancer treatment may be influenced by the type of treatment received and individual uh, uh, circumstances so 
a lot of female, we ask them not to breastfeed after getting pregnant and we give them uh, a pill to uh, prevent milk formation. So these are also important to discuss. And finally, the risk of recurrence. Most patients will be okay uh, getting pregnant after getting treated. However, some patients are at a, at a very high risk for recurrences. And when getting pregnant, sometimes there is a surge of hormones in the body and those can uh, accelerate the recurrence uh, speed. So some patients, we might tell them, we, again, it's their choice, but we need to inform them that they are at a high risk and we are kind of worried if they get pregnant. But so so it's individualized based on the risk of recurrence. Awesome. Well, it was so informative to hear all of these answers and um, definitely very reassuring to hear these myths are false as well. So thank yeah. you so much for coming on today and you know sharing all this great information. Thank you, Kara, for having me and it's great to be here.